Well, at this time, if you would uh, take your Bible and uh, turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians in chapter number three, we're kind of past the halfway point in our study in the book of Philippians, and uh, the title of the series has been Rejoice in the Lord, and it's been a couple weeks since we've been in it, uh, but um, we're going to continue that today. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1, and if you're there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, and uh, we're just going to read one verse this morning, uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 1 is the only verse we're going to read, and this is going to be the, the thrust of the, ver- the, the whole message uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1 says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. I'll read that first part of the verse again. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Lord, thank you for uh, all that you've done in our hearts thus far in the service this morning and in Sunday school. Lord, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for these children, uh, Lord, that give us great hope for the future. And Lord, I pray that um, this service, this message time, Lord, that you might uh, now calm our hearts and help us to focus on what you'd have for us and help us, Lord, to be good hearers, but even more than that, help us to be good doers of what we hear. Help us, Lord, to go away from this place different than when we came in. And I pray, Lord, that this message would cause us to live differently because of what we hear. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So the title of the message this morning is called Developing the Habit of Rejoicing. As I thought about habits, I realized that all of us have habits, don't we? So in preparation for today's message, I searched online for weird habits And I came across quite a list, and as I thought about this, I thought, weird habits, I definitely don't have any of these because I'm not weird. Okay, maybe naming a spider that lives on my fence is a sort of weird thing to do, and uh, you had to be here a couple weeks ago and uh, have had read my bulletin article to get that little reference. Uh, But anyway, after looking at this list, I realized that maybe I do have some of these weird habits and I'm more weird than I thought I was, Um, although I'm not going to tell you which one of these habits I have. Um, I don't want to be that transparent with you. But uh, here are some of the uh, weird habits that some people have, okay, chewing their fingernails, cracking their joints. Washing hands constantly, smelling books, when you get a book and you open it up and just take it all in, that's a weird habit. Uh, counting steps while walking, there, are, there is technology for that, folks. <laughs> you don't need to do it anymore. This is, this is a weird one, refusing to walk barefoot indoors, but outdoors, it's okay. Sniffing fingers after eating, that is a little weird. Holding your breath when someone sneezes around you, that actually might be a, a good one to start establishing. 
This one is weird, licking the flavoring off of potato chips before eating them. What kind of monster does that? Really? That is weird. Again, as I went through this list, I thought, there's no way I'm going to have, and then I went, okay, maybe I am weird. I'm not going to tell you which one or which ones I do. Now, obviously, we're aware of some of the bad habits that, that folks have in, our li- in life. Um, smoking, drinking, overeating. Uh, some of the ones that are, uh, we would can maybe consider bad habits. But habits are not all bad. There are some good ones, too. Uh, regular exercise, uh, eating healthy. Um, those are good habits. Well, Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, has covered quite a bit of ground up to this point. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he covered quite a bit of ground. But now in chapter 3, he gets to the main reason for writing this book. And that's why he says, finally, my brethren. It's not because he's trying to get to the end of his letter and say, finally, I'm going to end this thing. No, he's saying, finally, after covering all of what I just mentioned, I want to get to the main thrust of uh, the purpose in which I write. And so uh, he gets to that and says, um, he finally reaches the main thrust of his communication and rejoicing in the Lord is the overarching theme and emphasis of this book. Now, if you're like me, you don't really like going to the doctor. Um, some, some, it seems like a full-time job that they go to the doctor constantly. Uh, and some of you are dealing with that right now with the medical issues you're dealing with. And it seems like your full-time job is going to the doctor. But uh, going to the doctor is not my favorite thing, but uh, I had to go uh, way back in April to get a physical in order to uh, have my, uh, my commercial license up to date. So I went to this doctor, and we met very early in the morning, and, and uh, he, he did what has happened for, for lots of times when you go to the doctor, and they, they test your reflexes. And so he got me there on the, the, the examining table, and, and uh, we'll say this is the examining table, and he got one of these babies out, right? And uh, he says, all right, just, just leave, your, leave your legs kind of hanging there. And then he went and did this, just to test the, the reflex there. And, and uh, he was just making sure that that reflex was operating properly. All right, so... What does it have to do with developing the habit of rejoicing? See, Paul is encouraging these, these believers there at Philippi to develop the habit of rejoicing so much so that it becomes a reflex. That it becomes so a part of us that no matter what we face in our lives, our first reaction is to rejoice in the Lord. And so as life begins to throw things at us, and we're sitting there and it, it hits us, we react with rejoicing in the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning from this particular verse. And so this morning I want to share three truths that will help us all develop the all-important habit of rejoicing. First of all, I want us to notice, number one here, the responsibility. The responsibility. Look, God has given us a command here to rejoice in the Lord. This is not a mere suggestion. This isn't just simply good advice. 
No, it's a command from the authoritative Word of God. God expects us to implement and obey this command just like all the other commands in Scripture. Paul said to the Thessalonians, he said, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So it is the responsibility of believers to develop this habit. It's, it's my responsibility, and by the way, it's your responsibility as well, to develop this habit of rejoicing in the Lord. A couple things I want us to see here about this responsibility. First of all, let's look at the timing of our rejoicing. When are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord? Well, again, to the Thessalonians, Paul said, rejoice evermore. In James chapter 1 and verse number 2, James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Can I remind us on where Paul was when he wrote the book of Philippians? He wasn't sitting on a resort sipping on an Arnold Palmer from Chick-fil-A. Although there is no better thing in life than an Arnold Palmer from Chick-fil-A. And now we all want to go to Chick-fil-A, but we can't. We have to wait till tomorrow. You're welcome. <laughs> Rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> but Paul was not in a cush situation uh, when he wrote the book of Philippians. He was writing it from a Roman prison where he was under 24-7 surveillance. He was a prisoner. And he made the choice to rejoice. In chapter 1 and verse number 18 of Philippians, if you want to look back over there, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, and will rejoice. See, in this passage here, we saw how he rejoiced in God's sovereignty and how the Lord was using the situation he was in to get the gospel to more people. So uh, Paul was in a less than ideal situation, and yet he made the choice to rejoice. So the timing of our rejoicing needs to be in difficult times as well as good times. Remember, it was Paul who later said, and I don't want to steal too much thunder from our message when we get there, but in in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And then just in case we weren't paying attention, he says, and again I say rejoice. So look, friend, God wants to hear you sing. When the waves are crashing around you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances is as hopeless as can be, that's when God wants to hear you sing. So the timing of our rejoicing should be at all times, good or bad, always, evermore. But notice here, the, not only the timing of our rejoicing, I want us to see here the object of our rejoicing. Verse number one, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in our circumstances. Now, if that's what your Bible says, you've got the wrong Bible. Because the Bible says, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It's important to note that not only are we to rejoice, but we need to rejoice in the Lord. 
Paul here is connecting rejoicing to a relationship. Because without a relationship, there's really no cause for rejoicing. This is absolutely key. There are a lot of people who rejoice in their circumstances when they get when they change for the good, right? You know, we kind of start high-fiving people when we hear some good news and we we start rejoicing in our circumstances. We get a raise at work. We have your have your doctor give you a clean bill of health after some tests. Maybe you receive a refund check in the mail after someone says you paid too much. Have you ever had that happen to you? Not often enough, I know. <laughs> Have you ever received one of those checks for a super small amount? I think we've received one for like 13 cents. And you're like, you open this up and it says payable to Eric Johnson. You're like, oh, 13 cents? Are you serious? <laughs> it costs more to send this thing than the check is even worth. Or maybe you, you ace a test you didn't study for and you get the grade back and you're like, Praise, you know, yes. Or maybe you find out that the girl you really like likes you back. But when these things happen, what do you rejoice in? Are you rejoicing in the circumstance? Look, during these good times, we need to make sure that we are rejoicing in the blesser and not merely just in the blessing. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. He's the source of all blessing. And so that's why we need to rejoice in the Lord. And obviously this is why we're instructed to set our affection on things above. So during the difficult times, we rejoice in the Lord. During the good times, we need to make sure that we're rejoicing in the Lord. Okay, we've talked about the timing and the object of our rejoicing, but I, but really I want us to understand that they are connected. They go hand in hand, don't they? Because when you're rejoicing in the right object, then you can indeed rejoice at all times. So we've seen the responsibility to rejoice. Now I want us to look, secondly, the reasons to rejoice in the Lord. We know we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord, but why? What about God should cause us to rejoice in Him? A couple aspects of, of God I want to share with you this morning and in reference here to the reasons why we should develop the habit of rejoicing. First of all, the character of God, who God is. While your circumstances ebb and flow, while your situation in life changes, and your life, most of us, is a little bit of a roller coaster at times, isn't it? While your situation in life changes, God never does. He stays exactly the same. Malachi 3 and verse number 6 says, For I am the Lord, and I change not. Hebrews 13 and verse number 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17, we mentioned it a moment ago, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights. And listen to who the Father of lights is, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. 
Do you ever walk into work wondering what mood the boss is in? <laughs> oh, is he in a good mood today or not in a good mood today? Do we kind of need to steer clear of the boss today or what? You ever wonder what side of the bed your spouse is going to wake up on? <laughs> I never do, just so you, just so you know. <laughs> Look, friend, you never have to wonder what God is going to be like today. He is the same as he always been and he always will be. Now, theologically speaking, this is called the immutability of God. It means that God and his character cannot change nor ever will change. A.W. Tozer, in his explanation on this, the immutability of God, had this to say. God is immutable, which means that he has never changed and can never change in any smallest measure. To change, he would need to go from better to worse, or from worse to better. He cannot do either for being perfect. He cannot become more perfect. And if he were to become less perfect, he would be less than God. Kind of a brain teaser, but logically speaking and simply put, God cannot and will not change. And this should cause us to rejoice in him. I know life sometimes brings us great change, but in the midst of all that change, I am so thankful that we have a God who is the rock, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So... Why should, I, uh, why should I rejoice? Because of the character of God. But not only the character of God, the works of God. The works of God, what God has done, not only who He is, but what He has done, not just in history, but in my individual life. Oh, there's been a lot of works of God recorded in the Word of God. All the miracles that he performed in the Old Testament and in the New and Jesus walking in this earth and performed countless miracles. But to me, the greatest work of God was the fact that he provided a way for me to have a relationship with himself. He provided a way of salvation. You see, I was a lost sinner. And yet he loved me so much that he gave his greatest treasure, his only begotten son, to become the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate substitute for me. His name is Jesus Christ, and he was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem's manger. That Jesus grew up to live a perfect and sinless life as he fulfilled the will of his Father by healing the sick, raising the dead, performing countless miracles, and he simply went about doing good. At age 33, Jesus was crucified on a hill outside of uh, Jerusalem called Calvary. And there he was beaten and humiliated and nailed to a cross. Jesus hung there on that cross for six long, excruciating hours between heaven and earth. And every breath that he took on that cross caused intense pain. Finally, at 3 p.m., Jesus cried, It is finished, and gave up the ghost. Later, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And they put a big, solid stone in front of that tomb to make sure that no one would come and steal his body out. And they put some guards around to make sure. And I like what the Bible says, they made it as sure as they can. But I'm telling you, it was not enough. 
Because three days later, that stone rolled away. Jesus came walking out of that tomb. Bodily walked out of that tomb. He rose from the dead to God be the glory. You know, in his death, Jesus proved that he was 100% man. And in his resurrection, Jesus proved that he was 100% God. And I remember when I was 12 years old and I came face to face with the decision on what I was going to do with Jesus Christ. And it was there that I decided to place my faith in him alone for my salvation. It was that day that I began my relationship with God. And look, no matter how bad things get, my salvation is secure. My sins are forgiven and my future home is in the heavens. I can rejoice in Him because of what He has done for me and that will never ever change. So I get some bad news. Not that I go, yippee, I got some bad news. Friend, during those times I can rejoice in the Lord and who He is and what He has done for me. The problem is when I'm waiting here at this uh, lovely train here on Main Street when it gets stopped for 30 minutes plus an eternity, it seems like. My schedule gets messed up. What's my, what's my knee-jerk reaction? What's my habit? When I get sick like I did last Sunday, what do I decide to do? When my computer stops working properly which is what has been happening recently. When I find out that a loved one has cancer, when I find out that maybe I have cancer, what are my reactions going to be to those pieces of news? What is your habit when you get those pieces of news? Are you going to choose to rejoice in the Lord? Or is your habit fretting, worrying, complaining, griping? What's our habit? So we see here the reasons. But thirdly, this morning, the results. Okay, pastor, let's say that I go ahead and start working on this habit of rejoicing in the Lord. Let's suppose that I actually... Try to take what the Bible says and live it out. What's going to happen? What are some things that I can expect in my life? Well, first of all, it produces a personal joy. It, it produces a personal joy that is it's hard to explain unless you've chosen to have this habit in your own life. 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse number 6, I preached a message on this passage uh, a few months ago, maybe back in July. And in this passage, David is going through an intensely difficult situation. His family has been taken away from him. The men who respected him so much are now thinking about killing him. Um, His wealth is gone, his Life is not going well. And you know what a lot of people would have done in this situation? Probably not what David did. 
But David, interestingly enough, in verse 6 of chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 30, he said this, it says this, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know, David decided that he was going to, his knee-jerk reaction to all the circumstances in his life was going to be, I'm going to choose to rejoice in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And then God gave him a peace and a confidence to go forward. And God brought a great victory, and most of us know the story. There was a personal joy that came in David's heart because he made this choice to rejoice in his life. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10. This is a very famous verse in the book of Nehemiah. It says, Then said he unto them, Go your way, eat the fat. Okay, that's not the, that's not the most popular part of this verse here. But that's not a bad part of the verse. Uh, go your way, drink the sweet tea. I mean, no, it doesn't say tea, but it should. Probably in the Hebrew it says tea. Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. When you choose to rejoice in the Lord, it's going to bring about a personal joy that will help you through. When when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. I realize that maybe when you get bad news, you're kind of just so focused on that. Maybe that's the greater time, most important time to focus on the blessings instead of the blister. Do you realize that we are triune beings? 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are body, soul, and spirit, right? We have three parts to us. And all three parts are connected, aren't they? Our spiritual life affects our emotional and physical life. When we're not right with God, it can cause great grief and guilt in our lives. And that guilt can cause physical ailments and sickness. Uh, When our emotional life is not right, it affects our spiritual and physical life. And when our physical life uh, is not right, it affects our spiritual and emotional life. And on and on it goes. And and, and conversely, when everything is right in these areas, we we do do a lot better. Because we're body, soul, and spirit. And most of us are aware that stress can cause ulcers, Right? I recently read a medical report from Magnolia Regional Health Center in Corinth, Mississippi that linked anxiety with heart disease. Studies suggest that there is a link between increased anxiety and heart disease, especially in those who suffer sudden cardiac death. A group of researchers from Tilburg University in Holland combined data of 250,000 people, that's a quarter million people, 
they found that those who experienced frequent anxiety had a 26% increased risk of coronary heart disease and a 48% increased risk of heart-related death. A second study conducted in Sweden by Dr. Imri Jansky found that anxiety more than doubled the risk of developing coronary blockages or having a heart attack. Now, I didn't personally do these studies, obviously. But according to this, it, it, it seems like those who fail to develop the habit of rejoicing in the Lord, many of them died a premature death. Look, if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, stress, or worry, before you go get more medication and try everything else under the sun, maybe we need a healthy dose of rejoicing in the Lord. I don't want to minimize the real problem that some people have that does require medication, but I'm afraid that many of these who are medicated for these issues should not be medicated and should simply obey Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord. And they're not doing it. And so they need to have uh, synthetics to try to help in their, uh, with their issues. I'm not trying to be a doctor or a psychiatrist, but perhaps the answer that some people have been looking for is right here in Philippians chapter 1. Maybe this is what the great physician ordered to develop the habit of rejoicing. So can I encourage you this morning to take two rejoicings in the Lord and call me in the morning? And then tell me how you're doing. I'm not trying to minimize what you're going through. I'm not trying to minimize all the emotional problems that some people have. But instead of going to a man to prescribe some synthetic medication, which I know can be very helpful at times, why don't we try first going to the Lord who created us and who knows us inside and out better than any man. Why do we, why do we take the word of God and, and say, well, yeah, that's, yeah, but I need to go to a real doctor. Is he not the great physician? I'm telling you this right here, this, these three, these four words, rejoice in the Lord, can fix a lot of people. But they're not willing to hear it. As a third century man was anticipating death, he penned these last words to a friend. He said, it's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Friend, can I ask you this question? Are you one of them as well? Yes, it's a sinful world. Yes, there's a, it's a bad world out there. And yes, we're going to hear bad news. 
But are we going to find a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure that this world has to offer? Those who rejoice in the Lord find a personal joy that can help them cope with anything that life throws at them. Either we believe the word of God or we don't. Either the word of God is enough or it's not. I, for one, believe that it is enough. And it is sufficient for everything that we face in our lives. So, if I develop this habit of rejoicing in my life, what's going, what's going to happen? Well, I'm going to have a, a personal joy that helps me through what I'm going through. When my, when my focus is not on me, right? That's what usually happens when people get bad news. Woe is me. Time to throw a pity party. The only problem with a pity party is you're the only one that goes to it. No one else accepts the invitation. And it all becomes about you. Oh, my trial. Oh, my problem. Instead of rejoicing in the Lord, instead of, oh, woe is me, wow is my Lord. He is good. He is able to carry me through. The song we sang a little bit ago. So it produces a personal joy. It also produces a public testimony. When you decide to develop this habit of rejoicing in your life, then guess what? Your life is going to make a difference in the lives watching you. Turn over, if you would, to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 22. Let's just read through this, this little story here. It says, And the multitude rose up together against them. Who are, who are them? Paul and Silas. And the reason that they're right, uh, rising up against them is because they were preaching the truth. They were preaching about God and Jesus Christ and being the only way of salvation. It says, And the magistrates ran off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. So here Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown into the inner prison. They didn't do anything wrong. You know what? How would you have felt? What would, you be, what would, what would have been your reaction to all of that? This isn't fair. God, why did you do this to me? I was trying to serve you. I was trying to do what was right. This, this ain't fair. You know, I give all this to you, and look what you do to me. Thanks a lot, God. Well, verse 25 says that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. Are you kidding me? Wow. Because, see, Paul and Silas, they had this habit of rejoicing, didn't they? That no matter what they faced, hey, praise the Lord. God is good. God has a plan. We're going to trust him. Let's sing. What's your favorite hymn? We'll have a singspiration. Where's Brother Randy to lead us? You know, where's where's Miss Pat to, to play the piano for us? That was their reaction to it. Amazing. Definitely not a natural reaction, is it? 
Probably not one that we would normally have. But this is what Paul and Silas had. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 26, after they began praising and rejoicing, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I really believe that the Lord used Paul and Silas and their rejoicing to be a testimony to that jailer. As they, as he put him in that, you know, in that innermost part of the prison, and, and he's thinking, okay, we're going to shut them up now. No more preaching. Well, then they start singing. You know, after they could have bailed like everyone else was about to bail, they said, look, we're, we're not going anywhere. And he said, look, okay, I, I got to know, what, what you have, that's, that's what I want to. You keep singing about this being saved thing, <coughs> that's what I want. Okay, let's bring it back to you and I. Do the people around your life want what you have? Do they want it? Is there joy in your life that when you're going through a difficult time, you're still rejoicing in the Lord? Do they want that? Or is there just like, well, you're just like I am? It produces a public testimony. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, But in if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It says, be ready. The only reason we need to be ready is if people are going to ask us what the hope is in our life that's causing us to act the way we're acting. But if we're acting just like every unsaved person we know, you don't have to worry about being ready because ain't no one's going to ask you. But Peter is expecting the Christians he's writing to to have that happen because he was expecting them to rejoice, expecting them to deal with the trials properly. Later, Peter says this, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fire of trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice! Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with this exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken unto you, but on your part he is glorified. And this is especially talking about those who experience trial because of their faith. You know, I, I don't think necessarily in my lifetime, although it could happen, uh, for us to be physically persecuted because of our faith. It's definitely within the realm of possibility here in America. 
But most likely, we're going to be maybe overlooked for a promotion. Maybe we won't get hired. Uh, maybe we might even get fired. I remember I was working at a uh, communications company back in Montana. And uh, I was brought into the office uh, by our managers. They sat me down and they said, Eric, we need to talk to you about something. And I said, okay, well, what about? And they said, you know, um, you've... Uh, you were inviting someone to church on the clock. And I said, oh, you're right, I did that. I'm sorry. It was an innocent thing. She was saying, hey, it's, it was a Saturday. She's like, hey, what should I do tomorrow? And I just casually said, you should go to church. So I got in trouble for that. And they said, well, not only that, um, there's another thing we, we need to talk to you about. You've been using the word blessing. I'm not supposed to use that word. Excuse me? Yeah, you're not allowed to use that word. Uh, some, of our, some of your coworkers believe that's, that's a little too religious for them. And so you're not allowed to use the word rejoicing, or I mean uh, the word blessing anymore. I said, okay, so should I use the language that they use on the floor to my customers? Should I talk about alcohol all day? Should I use profanity? No, it's just we got to, you know, be sensitive to the needs. Look, that's going to happen more and more here in America, unfortunately. How, what are we going to do? Are we going to go and complain and whine and be babies about it? Or are we going to rejoice in the Lord? Because if we do rejoice in the Lord, it's going to produce a public testimony. But if we have a bad attitude... We're no better. We're no different. They're not going to see a difference. All right. So here you are. On the examining table. Life hits you. What's your knee-jerk reaction? Whining? Complaining? Oh, I know. Let's fret some more. Let's worry some more. I think for some of us, that is our knee-jerk reaction when we get bad news. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm trying to be honest with you. Bad news. Let's go worry about it. We're going to get to it when we get to Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Finally, my brethren, in the litany of things on what to think, what to think about. Whatsoever things are true. You know what worrying is thinking about? Something that's not yet true. So don't think about it. If it's not true now, then don't think about it. Don't worry about it. You say, well, I got this bad news about my health, and, and it's probably going to mean this. Oh, is it? Are you sure? It's not necessarily true. What is your knee-jerk reaction when you hear good things or when you hear bad things? Paul says your knee-jerk reaction, your habit should be to rejoice in the Lord. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then I'm telling you it's going to be very hard for you to truly rejoice in the Lord. 
Because remember, rejoicing is connected to a relationship. And so do you have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ? He made a way, but there is only one way. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you don't have a relationship with God, I'm telling you, that's the single greatest, most important decision anyone will ever make. Would you make that choice today to believe on Christ and trust him alone for your salvation? And then for those of us who are saved, those of us who are believers, may God help us all develop this habit of rejoicing in our lives. And with that, let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this one verse that Paul says, finally, I'm getting to what I've been wanting to get to in this letter to encourage you to develop the habit of rejoicing. And he said, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Help us, O God. No matter what we go through, good times or bad, help us to let us develop this habit so much so that it becomes our knee-jerk reaction when we are faced with different types of news. Help us to be good rejoicers in the Lord. Help us, Lord, not to seek all those other things under the sun to help us with our, with our stress and our worrying. Help us, Lord, to just start choosing to rejoice in you.